uh, Titus 2, verses 1 to 8. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and not or to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Thanks, Naomi. The fellas did a great job while you were away. Um, that's what somebody was telling me just a couple of days ago when I was just getting ready to come back to work, uh, talking about the, the preaching, the preachers who had spoken here uh, over the summer since I've been on sabbatical. Um, I, I know because I got a chance to hear them. Um, that's the, the beauty of the podcast. No matter where you are in the world traveling, you can tune in and hear what's going on at home, at church here. So I just want to begin by saying we are blessed to have such excellent Bible teaching uh, right throughout our congregation. So many people gifted, willing to come and open God's Word to us. So thank you to the guys who preached uh, over this summer period. Uh, Stephen took uh, uh, a lion's share of that. Uh, he's the only person who preached more than once. So uh, appreciate uh, Stephen. Is Stephen, he's gone? Yeah, he was there. I, I was looking for him and okay. Folks, this morning I feel like we've got an awful lot to do and very little time to do it. So I'd like us to look at this uh, last of the fruit of the Spirit. That's the series we've been following this summer, the, the fruit of the Spirit that is self-control. Then I want to wrap up the series entirely and thirdly, take a moment to to prepare us or invite us to, to prepare ourselves for communion. Uh, so let's get going. Be great if you could have your Bibles open. You have them open at Titus. Feel free to keep a finger there, but flick back to Galatians 5 on page 1172. So first, just for a few moments, this last fruit of the Spirit, uh, self-control. First thing to say about the, the fruit of the Spirit that's self-control is that it's different from all the other eight in at least two regards. Firstly, it's not, it's not really a positive uh, character virtue. The other eight things that we've been looking at are all positive character virtues that we could hope to, to grow and cultivate in our lives so we can, we can long to be more loving or to, to grow greater joy in our lives. Self-control is different. More so than, than growing a particular positive virtue, a lot of the time it actually has to do with avoiding vices. Say things like sexual immorality or impurity, debauchery and so on, things that Paul lists in verse 19. So that's the first thing. It's a little bit different in that it's 
more of a, a safeguard against vice than a positive virtue. And the second way in which self-control is different than the other fruits of the Spirit, it sort of flows out of the first. There's no matching virtue in God. I can't say this morning, be more like Jesus, have more self-control, or be more like God the Father, have more self-control. God doesn't need self-control. He's not troubled by the vices that we are, and therefore he doesn't need to rein them in the way that we do. To, to look very quickly at self-control for a few minutes, I thought we'd try to answer three questions. Why is it important? Where do we need it? And who needs to be cultivating self-control? Where, why, and who? So the first question, why do we need it? The reason surely is that the fruit of the Spirit, as well as cultivating virtue, the, the Spirit of God wants us to gain control over the, the vices in our lives. You see, we don't set out to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in some sort of a, a moral vacuum. We're not, we're not people who are brilliantly wired for always doing the right thing. Maybe you are. I, I know I'm not. So I don't, I don't try to work this, uh, I don't try to enter into this fruit of the Spirit, finding that every part of me just naturally does all these virtuous things. I'm a sinful sinner who sins. That's who I am. And there's sin that operates within me even when my best intentions are engaged. You might know what I'm talking about if you've used this opportunity this summer, this series in the fruit of the Spirit, to, to look for the fruit of the Spirit in your life and to, to try to see them grow or to long to see them grow. If you've been doing that, you'll know what I'm talking about. We don't cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in a vacuum. There's our sinful brokenness to contend with, as well as cultivating the positive fruits of the Spirit that we've looked at in the series so far. We need to learn to control our vices. I was reading about this, thinking about this, the importance, the, the why of self-control, why self-control important, and I came across this tire advert. Don't know how well it'll come up. It's come up all right. I hope you can make it out. A huge fist coming out. I hope this isn't scary. Is anybody? No? Okay. Huge fist coming at you. When you look to the, the bottom of each of the knuckles, you'll see that the fist is morphing into a tire, big massive black tires. And I'm sure you can read the message. Power is nothing without control. Why is self-control important? Because all of our gifts and all our abilities, all of our virtues, they can be undermined in our lives if we don't have self-control, if we lack self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, includes self-control. Where do we need self-control? We've talked about the why. Where do we need it? Notice quickly a few things Paul has to say about the why. One of the main areas, if you have the passage before you there, where we need to exercise self-control is in the area of our sexuality. Whenever he lists in verse 19 the acts of the sinful nature, he begins with sexual immorality, 
And when his list comes to an end, it ends with orgies. So there's something important about learning to gain self-control over our sexuality. If we had more time today to, to go into this, we might look at a couple of biblical examples of one person who managed to demonstrate self-control in the area of their sexuality, namely Joseph, and one who didn't, and the catastrophic outcomes for him, uh, namely King David. But even without time to go into those kind of illustrative stories, we certainly would want to say that temptation to, to sexual activity outside of the good context that God's given for it, for marriage, is going to be and always will be a very dangerous temptation, an area for Christian people. We need to recognize the, the scale of human suffering that's been caused, particularly, I'm going to say, by men who fail to control their sexual desires. What a brilliant thing it would be to be a community where, where each one of us was committed to and found some success in controlling our sexual desires. A person growing in God's spirit will want to increasingly gain control over their sexual desires. But if you look again at Paul's list of, of the vices, we're using that as a, a sort of an area to explore the self-control. It's not listed, it's not limited, sorry, to, to sexual sin. His list, the areas where we need to gain self-control, it encompasses all of life. It's really quite far-reaching. Take a moment here and allow the Holy Spirit to run a wee diagnostic check here on the state of your heart. Am I in control of my temper or am I given to fits of rage? Paul mentions fits of rage. It's not becoming for a mature Christian person to throw the toys out of the pram every time they don't get their own way. What about my appetite? Is that under control? Good food and good drink is a blessing from God, but drunkenness and gluttony are sins that the Bible condemns. Am I in control of my attitude to others? Can I celebrate the success of another person? Or am I given to jealousy, envy, selfish ambition? Am I in control of my time or, or do I waste large amounts of it in laziness and lack of self-discipline? And maybe the hardest area of all, am I in control of my tongue? Or do my words lead to discord, dissensions, and factions? Where do we need the self-control that the Spirit of God gives? Everywhere. Every area and part of our lives. Third and final question, very quickly about self-control. Who needs to be cultivating it? I thought this was quite an interesting one because uh, I think I recognize there's a bit of a stereotype around this. There's an idea that adults uh, share among themselves that young people need to learn to, to, to curb the passions of youth 
Self-control is something we, we particularly need to be talking to younger people about. I think it's true that young people need to learn self-control, but it's very interesting. In the passage Naomi read for us this morning, Titus chapter 2, Paul takes the self-control issue and makes it an everyone issue. He says, yes, that young men need to be taught to be self-controlled, but so do younger women, so do older men, and I think by implication, older women are included too. Folks, there's not one of us in this building who couldn't and shouldn't want to be growing in the self-control that God, by His Spirit, wants to give us. We've had a wee brief look at that last fruit of the Spirit, self-control. I want to try and wrap up this series. Some of you will have been here for a lot of the nine previous sermons. Some of you might not have heard any. But let's talk for a second in closing about the fruit of the Spirit. I want, to, I want you to have that passage, NIV passage, open before you, Galatians 5. And I want you to notice where the list of the fruit of the Spirit sits in its actual context. It's part of a, a longer chunk of teaching. The NIV heading, I think, is fine. It says, life by the Spirit. Paul begins, verse 16, he says, live by the Spirit, and he closes, verse 21, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. That last verse, let's let our attention drop there for a couple of moments. Paul says, we live by the Spirit. Folks, anyone here who calls themselves a Christian, anyone who says, I've been saved I've trusted Jesus Christ. The Spirit of Jesus Christ is in you. You live by the Spirit. You began a life with Jesus in that moment when you trusted him to forgive your sins, to give you eternal life. He, he came by his Spirit and now indwells you. You've started life by the Spirit. Well, Paul says, just as we've begun this new life in the Spirit, he says, let's keep in step with the Spirit, is how he puts it. It's a very vivid metaphor, actually. <clears throat> I didn't know this until I was studying this week. It's not, it's not about walking alongside. The keep in step is more like a, a military idea. You know when you march? when you're practicing your drill or when you march into battle. So think, think changing of the guard or a well-drilled BB company on display night. So the commander shouts out the commands and the soldiers or the BB boys, they obey them instinctively. They don't look around to see what the other people are doing. They don't wait for two or three seconds or steps. They obey instinctively and in step without breaking stride. That's how Paul wants us to live. To keep in step with the Spirit. When he says, left turn, we go left. His right turn sends us right without missing a beat. When he calls us to attention, we're all up and ready, paying attention. And when he says, it's time to stand at ease, we stand at ease. This is the kind of image Paul has in mind when he says, keep, keep in step with the Spirit. Let the, the, the rhythms of the Spirit, let his music 
be the thing that animates you and drives you and shapes your life. Listen to the music and the beat of the Spirit. Listen to his voice and his word. Keep in step with him. Folks, I'm sure you've heard me say this before. I've long since given up on New Year's resolutions. First of January doesn't do a whole lot for me. First of September is a bigger deal. This is where it all starts again. Our, our lives seem to follow a pattern where coming back after your holidays and looking at the... This is the time to be thinking about what, what lies ahead, how am I going to live? So my question this morning, how are you going to keep step with the Spirit? How are you going to keep close, keep in step, keep marching? Here's what you could do. Come here. Be at worship. Don't miss it. What about reading scripture? Someday I'll have the courage to ask you. I'll just, on a Sunday morning, I'll stand here and I'll say, who's reading their Bibles? I'll do it. Put your hand up. Terrifying, wouldn't it be? The reason I don't ask is because I might not be reading mine. But if we want to keep in step with the Spirit, if we want to hear His voice and to hear it regularly and repeatedly, what plans are you making to read the Bible this year? Some, some of the young people have been on camps, and I know in camps one of the things that often happens is that the leader says, you know, let's, let's read the Bible together for these seven days. Or here's a set of Bible reading notes. Finish those off at home. Get into the habit, the discipline. So I say to the younger people, do that. Don't drop the good that you, you picked up this summer. But I say to the adults as well, how are you going to read the Bible this year? Find a way. If you're stuck, come and speak to me. One of the things, I'll, I'll mention it again, book by book is a group that I'm leading at the moment. People who want to read a book of the Bible each month and then get together at the end of the month to talk about it. If you'd be interested in that, come and talk to me and I'll put you on the mailing list. How are you going to stay in step with the Spirit? As we've come to the end of this series uh, and I look at my own life, I can't help wondering, am I making any progress at all? Could I preach this series or hear this series every summer for the rest of my life? Would, would, I, would I grow? Am I becoming even the, the tiniest bit more like Jesus? How is that going to be possible? It's not possible. Some of us have tested that and have seen it. It's not possible for us to become more like Jesus. It's only possible for Jesus to make us more like him. When I remember that I'm in him and that he is in me. Archbishop William Temple, he used to illustrate this point in this way. He said, it's no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do that. I can't. And it's no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do that. I can't. But what if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me? Then I could begin to write plays just like his. 
And what if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me? Then I could live a life like his. God's purpose, said William Temple, is to make us like Jesus. And God's way is to fill us with the Holy Spirit. Folks, what about this table? What place does this have in this conversation we've been having this morning about the fruit of the Spirit and becoming like Jesus? What, if anything, does this memorial of the death and resurrection of Jesus have to say about bearing fruit? Everything, actually. Look one last time at Paul's words, verse 24. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have been crucified, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. This is something I think you're going to hear me talk a lot about in the next while. It's how the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is my death and my resurrection and yours. Paul says, he seems to be saying that Jesus isn't the only one who's died. He seems to be suggesting that when Jesus died, somehow I died along with him. And the reason I can read it like that is that this is not an isolated bit of teaching on Paul's part in here. It sounds a bit crazy at first, but if you flick back, flick back quickly, chapter 2, verse 20. Huge verse for me in recent times, really. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The death, sorry, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. Jesus has died for my sin, but I have died too. I've died to my sin. It no longer has a stranglehold over me. I'm dead to it. So friend, this table talks about the death of Jesus, but but my death and yours too. And the table speaks about much, much more. It talks about the the life of Jesus, his new life and our new life. In Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about the death and the purpose of it all. He says, you died through the body of Christ that you might belong to him who was raised from the dead. Why? In order that we might bear fruit unto God. Do you see it now? Jesus' death, our death, so that he could rise and we could rise to a new life animated and empowered by his spirit. That's where we grow the fruit of the spirit. Jesus died and rose again so that we can bear the fruit of the Spirit. Folks, without his death, it's not possible. For those who receive the new life he offers in his Spirit, it's inevitable. I hesitated to write that, but I think it's true. If I open my life to the Spirit of Jesus Christ and to the extent that I do that, the fruit of the Spirit will grow 
in my life and in yours. Let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's take a step today as we gather around this table. Let's pray.